As I say, we're going to go to Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. I'm just going to start there. I'm sorry. I'm wrong about that. Verse 35, 4 and 35. We're going to get right into it. Um, holy determination. How many love to wait on things? Lift your hand. You just love to wait on things. Now, Linda does. Hey, these extra lights, is there any way to, do we always have those on? Uh, um, okay, yeah, my glasses are just picking up a huge glare. That's what happens. Um, waiting is the hardest work of hope, is what um, Lewis Smith says. Say, waiting is the hardest work of hope. Say, if I'm going to hope, I'm going to wait. I mean, we, are, we don't like to, to wait, do we? A woman's car stalls in traffic. She looks in vain under the hood to identify the cause while the driver behind her leans relentlessly on his horn. Anybody else ever had that to happen to you? Finally, she's had enough. She walks back to his car and offers sweetly, I don't know what the matter is with my car, but if you want to go look under my hood, I'll be glad to stay here and honk for you. You ever felt that way? Um, we're not a patient people. We tend to be a horn honking, microwaving, FedEx smelling, fast food eating, express lane shopping, hurry people. People don't like to wait in traffic, on the phone, in the store, or in the post office. Can I get a hearty amen? In fact, Robert Levine in a book called uh, The Geography of Time says there's a new unit of time called the honko second. Everyone say the honko second. That is the time between when the light changes and the person behind you honks his horn. Come on, somebody. And uh, some, they claim to be the smallest amount of time known to man. Um, a lot of us don't live a toll booth, but recently we were in Florida meeting with all of our elders, and you see a lot of toll booths. Um, just take this little lesson before we uh, read our scripture. At a toll booth, the driver in the car in front of you is having an extended conversation with the toll booth operator. You are A, happy that they are experiencing the toll booth in community. You think about joining them and forming a small group. How many of that would you? be most of the sanguines in the room be you dream of things you would like to say to the toll booth operator that would be people like me see you attempt to drive your vehicle between the other guy's car and the toll booth you don't care who gets hurt how many lift your hand and say that would be you there you go how about this you've been sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's office for an hour everyone say ugh and there's your choices a you are so grateful for the chance to catch up on the 1993 edition of Reader's Digest. Amen. B, you tell the other patients you have a highly contagious and fatal disease, hoping this will empty the waiting room. How many would do that? C, you force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention. How many of that would be you? I know a woman that the emergency, the emergency vehicle, thank God she's not here this morning, would not pick her up. I know they wouldn't see her at the hospital, so she went down and called from the street and got them to come pick her up. We don't like waiting, do we? We don't like waiting. And in Mark 4, Christ Jesus shows incredible authority over elements that come in many different ways. He gives peace. Everyone say peace. How many would like a little bit more peace this morning? Um, you know, this is the scripture where Jesus travels in his strength in those two chapters. He overcomes the elements. He overcomes a demon-possessed man. He overcomes a sickness in a woman who's been sick for 12 years. And he raises a girl from the dead. These people have come to the edge of human experience when only God can make a difference. How many in this room this morning have a situation in your life or in someone else's life that only God can make a difference? Wave a hand, every single one of us. 
Every one of these situations had come to a point where only God and Jesus steps into the scene. I love the song that they sang this morning. One of my absolute favorites about being in Jesus's presence. Because in these passages, Jesus shows his authority. Let me tell you something. There's a moment to engage the enemy and there's a moment to wait. When Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan came to him on the first, after 40 days and said, you see these stones? You know you're hungry. Why don't you turn them into bread? You know what? I'm sure Jesus wanted to say, you know what? You're a little late. I thought about doing that on the third day. Come on, somebody. I thought about that on the third day. I knew it was in my power, but he did not engage the enemy on that day except to say, it is written. And he quoted the word of God. Let me tell you today, we are going to get some holy, look at your neighbor and say, holy determination. Holy determination means a bigger yes that sometimes we have to say no to other things. Look at your neighbor and say a bigger yes that causes us to say no to other things. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit this morning. We ask you to speak through your servant. I pray for you to speak what I don't even say. I pray for you to whisper in the language that you know your sons and daughters understand. I pray you would take my little fish and loaves and you would multiply it. I pray for you to bless it and use it for your kingdom. I love you, Holy Spirit. I thank you. You are a teacher and we come to Christ and no one ever came to Christ and was not changed if they were willing to be changed. So we come to the word today to be changed in the name of Jesus and everyone said amen say holy determination you know what you can stay working at your job and have already quit your job you can stay in a marriage but you've already quit your marriage you can stay in rehab but you've already quit rehab you can stay in a family situation and you've already quit it there are ways that we can quit that no one sees us. How about the things in your life that you use holy determination to get to? Anybody ever gone to a mall because there's a sale and there's no parking space? But how many Holy Ghost times did you circle the parking lot till you got a place? Someone wave a hand at me. Cause you were determined. How many times did you go to a restaurant? You had a coupon and this day it's all about the deal and the great food. You had a reason to be at that restaurant, but you got there and there was a line. But you know what? You didn't say, oh, well, forget it. I'll just go home and eat a cracker with a piece of bologna. No, if you're hungry, you're determined. You'll say, go on. You go in there, put our name in and I'll go circle the parking lot. You go in there because you're determined. Someone say determined. It's according to how much you want something in your life that you say you want. How bad do you want healing? How bad do you want a better life? How bad do you want to make choices today financially that'll get you out of debt? How much will you be determined? Will you be steadfast to stay the course? Oh, we say we want things all the time. Christine Danielle Davis wanted to go to Disney World. My 12 year old, most of you know her. Everyone say, hi, Christine. She wanted to go to Disney World. She loves Disney World. Well, Matt Decker, our family down there has season passes and we were going to an elders meeting. And so one of the cousin's um, wife, Christina, and her two babies and Danette took Christine to Disney World while we were in elders meetings all day. It was a huge blessing. But guess what? Someone didn't put out the memo that everyone else in Florida went to Disney World for that day too. They waited in line after line after line after line. Now listen, they were there all day. Someone say all day. They waited in line after line. Guess how many rides Christine Danielle Davis
oldest got to ride that whole day. Guess, one, she got to ride one ride. But you know what? Christina and Christine, Christina's a pastor's wife and Danette and the two baby Levi and Abraham did not leave Disney World. Why? They wanted to be there. They were determined. They were determined that if this 12 year old who wanted to go to Disney World only got to ride one ride, they even waited an hour for Space Mountain. They got all the way up to the front. The feet were coming out. They were stepping on the little ledge to get on Space Mountain and guess what happened? The ride closed down after waiting an hour. Did they leave Disney World? Everyone say no. No, they state determination. Determination. How bad do we want the things we say we want in our life? The things we can't. It says that when they saw that their friend could not get into the presence of Jesus, they, they didn't say that they could not get into the house. They didn't say they would not get into the house. They could not. We need to define what's a could and what's a would. When I say I would not do that is different than I could not do that. I could do it if I would. If I would become determined and say, you know what? I know that without a question, nothing in my life is going to come easy. You know, there's at Staples that has that easy button. People, there is no such thing. Come on now. I've seen people go through the line, little kids hit it, expecting something magical to happen. When you are trying to get something in your life, especially a God thing, there is going to be a struggle. When you are trying to get somewhere you've never been, be somebody you've never been. And don't tell me, well, I'm 57 and I've been this way my whole life. I'm 43. I come from a long line of negative speaker people and I'll never be able to do it. I come from a long line of gossipers. I come from a long line of poor people. You know what? There are time after time examples that we didn't do over here in the children's room, but that are scientific examples, research done of famous people at much older age than anyone in this room that determined, you know what? I've got a termination. I am going to get out of debt. I have a termination that I am going to get educated. I have a term determination. My child is going to get out of drugs. I have a determination. I'm going to be known for something else the latter end of my life than I was the first part. And I'm going to do everything I have to do to be determined to get it done. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. We can't say I'm too young to change. Determination, holy determination in these cases coming up in this passage of scripture that we will read and then we will talk through those. There was holy determination. But let me tell you something, the center of all the determination was Christ. We are reading from the book of Mark and the first verse in the book of Mark, don't turn there. Mark begins his gospel. This is precious John Mark who got in the middle of a split between Paul and Barnabas. And when I was teaching Barnabas on a Wednesday night that we had some fun in here, I was talking about how it turned out for Mark's encouragement because he could have gone with a scholar or an encourager. I'm gonna tell you, I've known some scholars. I've known some religious people that get mean. Don't ever get too big for your pants. Come on, somebody. Don't ever get too big for your shoes. Don't ever think. I've met some of the most meanest religious people, but I've met some encouragers that were come out of sin and that 
continuously exhort people. They don't break people down. They lift people up. They encourage them. I'm going to tell you, if you've got to give me a vote, go with a scholar as much as I am a student or go with a man called Barnabas who's an encourager and full of Holy Ghost power. I'm going to choose the one that's full of Holy Ghost power and encouragement because I know by their God-given encouragement, they might be able to get me somewhere I could not get by myself. Maybe the scholar can teach me, but the encourager can raise me up. Say amen in this house. And that was just all free for you. So when Mark, who traveled with Barnabas, who was encouraged by Barnabas, and who later Paul said, bring John Mark to me. He's profitable to me. So we got the best of both worlds, the scholar and the encourager. And when he went to pen the words of Jesus's life in the book of Mark, he opens up the first verse and he says, this is the beginning of the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Let me tell you something at the center of every story, at the center of our existence, you may all fade away on me today. And I don't mean fade away in your mind. You may do that too. And just have a good time if you're going to Tahiti and eat something, but don't be fussing at me when the word doesn't work for you. Okay, come on. But you may fade away. You, you may all, this, this place could crack in the middle and I could go this way. But let me tell you something. Christ will continue to be who he is. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. Christ said to his disciples, who do you men say that I am? And they said, some say you are Elijah. Some say you are John. He said, I don't care about that. I want to know who do you say I am? Who do you say I am in your life? Am I just a friend? Am I just a Hail Mary, son of grace? Come on and let's eat this place. I don't know. I am, who am I in your life? I want you to say, and Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood never revealed this to you. There's nothing that was revealed to you by flesh and blood, the spirit of God. We need the spirit of God to reveal new and afresh to us today. I don't need your flesh and blood to reveal Christ to me but I need the Spirit of God to renew me in my mind and in my spirit that I belong, I serve, I live for Jesus. He is at the center of my existence and He is the Son, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed Son of the living God. Somebody give Jesus a praise in this house this morning. Let me tell you something. There are things that come against us, but Christ remains. Christ is the solid rock. I doubt you often. I do. I hate to tell you that. I've never met a soul I've not doubted. And the enemy's done well to match up things to make me doubt you. Anyone I've ever met, I have to come back to Christ, who he is, and let truth flow from him. And you will doubt people, and you will doubt your mama, your daddy, your aunt Sally, your uncle Billy Bob. You will doubt the directors of your Hope House. You will doubt your boss, but at the center of everything is Christ, and he remains the same. Can you say amen? And let me tell you something. Jesus, in these passages, I'm already preaching, so don't freak out. It's a short word. He's traveling in his strength. He's opposing the sea. He's opposing the demons and the demoniac without ever letting them torment him. Important lesson. He's opposing death and he's opposing sickness. 
But let me tell you something, he's fighting everything. But sometimes we get so fascinated with the power of the enemy. Let me tell you something, the end of the book has already been written. You've been told this before, but let me remind you, Satan will fall into a bottomless pit forever. In these passages, Satan gets a foothold in several people's lives. He gets a foothold in a storm. He gets a foothold in a little baby boy who grew up to be a man and was full of demons. He gets a foothold in a woman who has an issue of blood, sickness for 12 years. He gets a foothold in a little girl who lays dying, a 12-year-old on her bed. But let me tell you, there's coming a day and the day will come when Satan will fall forever and ever. Just think of falling into a bottomless pit. You know what that says to me? He will never have a foothold. He will never have anything to stand on again in anybody's life. The things that he has gained entrance into my life and gained foothold in areas of your life. He will never do it again. So let me tell you again on Christ the solid rock we must stand all other ground is sinking sand. Give him another praise in this house this morning. Thank you Jesus. Let us read and then we will talk. Um, Mark 4, familiar passage verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side. We studied this on Wednesday night ago and I'm not preaching that my friends. I just want to anchor here and then move. Now when they had left the multitude, they took Jesus along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him and a great windstorm arose. Say a great storm arose and waves beat into the boat so that the boat was filling with water. But Jesus was in the stern. He was asleep on a pillow and they woke him up, his disciples. And this is serious. The Bible doesn't just put things in there. As you know, it's only a few things made it that Jesus did. So when they're in here, take heed, watch up, listen to what the teacher would say to you. And he was asleep and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. Look at your neighbor and say, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I've been with you. You've seen me. Why? In this storm in your life today, the Lord would say, why? Where is your faith? Why do you think you're going to perish? Why do you think this is going to take you under? Why? And it says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Say, that's my king. Say, that's my Lord. Say, that's my Savior. Oh, you need to get proud. Your favorite basketball player makes a hoopty hoop. Oh, that's my team. Your favorite little singer. Oh, that's my girl. Let me tell you, that's your king. The king is not a side rail. The king is the center of the kingdom. Somebody give Christ a hand clap of praise in this house. Somebody let him hear it. They were up against the storm, moving out as an anchor. Jesus stands up and speaks but they feel like they're perishing the thing that the enemy will always try to do is empathize with you what you're going through and try to remind you how bad God is doing it taking care of you how bad of a job God is doing because of the present thing you're going through because of the unanswered prayer 
Because of the situations in your life, the enemy will try to empathize with you and make you feel you are perishing. What God is doing for you is not good enough. It, John Bevere said something so powerful about Joseph that at every stage of Joseph's life, he seemed to exude that what God was doing in his life was the best and most wonderful thing that could have been done in that moment despite how it looks. The enemy comes to make you feel that you're perishing. They get through the storm and they land on the Gadarenes. We know the story and I always like to see the story behind the story that a mama gave birth to a beautiful baby boy, like one of these beautiful baby girls here and a beautiful baby boy, but somewhere along the journey, something went wrong with this baby boy. She held him, she loved him. We don't know what happened. Was it in his teen years? We don't know. Was he a young adult, but somewhere he got filled. He opened a door and he got utterly filled with demons. Oh, we see this and think, oh, this is some heathen. It's not only heathen's child that get deceived by the enemy. Good godly people have children that get deceived by the enemy. In fact, there's a passage in 2 Timothy said that we are to pray of those that have been taken captive by the enemy and deceived to propagate his will. Deception can come into all of our life that the enemy will use us to propagate his will. But we pray by the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus that deception has to lose its foothold and minds have to come to clarity on what is truth and what is a lie for Jesus Christ is the truth he's the way and he is the life somebody give him a shout of praise in this house and here is this baby grown up and you know the story he has a legion of demons in him and I wanted to bring this up before we move to the powerful passages that we're going to look at he has a legions of demons. He comes running to Christ. Christ um, takes out the demons from within him and says to him, legion, sends them into the pigs. That's not really part of my message today, but I don't want to overlook the steps. And here is this man. He is healed. See, Jesus is showing that he's the son of God. When he was with the devil in the wilderness and he said, if you are the son of God. You see, that was right at the heart of Jesus because Jesus had been raised by a stepfather. Jesus had been raised by Joseph. His paternity had been brought into question every day of his life. He didn't look like Joseph, he was God's son. Many said he had blue eyes, which made him not a typical or even a predictable Hebrew. And there was a question of his paternity. You see, the enemy always comes to ask you the questions that he knows are at the center of where you heard. A man went to a doctor and he said, doctor, I don't, I don't know what to tell you what's going on with me. I heard all over. I heard everywhere. And the doctor said, well, I've never heard anything like that. He said, show me. He goes, look, he said, I hurt in my leg. Oh, it hurts so bad. I hurt in my shoulder. Oh, it, it hurts so bad. I hurt in my head. Oh, it, it hurts so bad. And the doctor said, I've never seen anything like this. Touch your toes. So the man reaches down and he touches his toes. Oh, it hurts so bad. And the doctor said, I've never seen anything. Lay down on the bed. Let me examine you. And he came close to the man. He picked up his hand and he picked up his fingers and he said, oh my goodness, my dear, your problem is you have a dislocated finger. So every time you were touching somewhere on your body, it was your finger that was hurting. Come on somebody. And not everything on you, which shows that sometimes we have pain in one place of our heart. We have, we have pain in one part of our spirit. We have a wound somewhere inside of us that 
causes us, if we allow the enemy a foothold to hurt all over our body, we need to learn to localize pain and wounds and say, Jesus, search every part of me. Take out the thing. Psalms 44 and 21 says, shall not God search this out? He knows the secret places of the heart, the things that hurt, the wounds that get buried, that make you feel like you're hurting all over. So you feel like you can't get along with anybody. Oh, I'm telling you, don't let the torment in somebody else bring torment to you. Come on. And you cause that torment in you to torment. When I first started dealing with people and counseling people as a pastor's wife, 27 years ago, I'd helped multitude of people as evangelists. We got into passion. We start, if I wasn't careful, their torment could torment me. Oh, it doesn't mean I lost compassion. No, I cried. I've cried for three days over my friend in California who's fighting for her life today. I have prayed nonstop. I feel her pain. She's facing death. Rhonda Montgomery, a pastor's wife, the first friend I had in California. Her dad worked for my dad. She's been pastoring in Northern California, has three beautiful adult children, has a grandchild. But suddenly in December, she became sick. She's facing life or death right now as we speak. They've called in people from all over the nation to pray. She's believing God for a miracle. The doctor said she wouldn't make it through Friday and Saturday. She keeps hanging on. And yesterday, her precious husband, Toby, who we've known for years, came into the room and he said, Rhonda, they're both great people of faith. Are you tired of fighting? Are you tired of fighting? Do you want to go home to see Jesus? And you have to know Rhonda just tore me up. She looked at him. She said, no, Toby, I want to go home with you, baby. I want to get well and go home with you, baby. She has a determined faith. It's okay to feel compassionate. We've got to be determined, but we can't let what's tormenting. If Pastor Todd has anger, I refuse to let that anger torment me. If he's dealing with anger, Pastor Todd, and he's not, so I can use him. And God, if God will work that anger, oh, I can counsel him, I can help him. But there was a time I let other people's anger jump out and scare me and freak me out and cause me to get in a tizzy. I'm going to tell you, we got to walk in a place with Christ in a divine radiation zone that I can help you, but you are not going to torment me with your depression, your doubts, your fear, and try to bring trouble into my mind and trouble into my spirit. And let me tell you, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, as the Lord sends many of you out as he's always done, and you become helping other people, let me tell you something. Help them. Feel compassion for them, but don't let their torment torment you. You stay in Christ and who he is in you. You be a hand, you be a counselor, you be an advocate, you be an intercessor, but I refuse to let your anger torment me or your depression torment me or your negativity. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll pray with you. And I've done it for many. I'll spend hours praying and singing over you on the phone, but your torment is not going to get into my spirit because I've got to stay clean and whole and free so I can do the work of the Lord Jesus. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. If Pastor Hank had not taught me that 27 years ago in all his experience to teach me how to not let it torment me because I saw him walking in such freedom and even to this day helping the multitude but he did not let it torment him and I had to learn I can help you, I can pray for you I can give you, listen, sisters and brothers people you work with, people in your family pray for them, believe for them be determined, don't let go but don't let your soul get torn 
tormented. You might get trouble. You might be overwhelmed. I've cried for three days for my precious friend Rhonda. Every time I'd stop from, I checked Facebook every two hours to see if there's any report. I was called into the ministry under her daddy. I've prayed. I've cried. I've laid on my face. My stomach has hurt. I've not been tormented. I have had an intercession for her. But you can have intercession for someone and love someone without letting them torment you for cause of what they're going through. Someone say amen one more time in this house. In verse 19, it says something powerful and we're going to move on. It says after the Jesus cast the demons out of the Gadarian, Jesus didn't let those demons trouble him. He didn't let them torment him. My favorite, favorite passage, I've told the Hope House girls, War horse buckling, a great group of men that were trying to cast a demon out of somebody and they were shouting and foaming and screaming and they'd been doing it for about two hours. I think it was in Roland Buck's book that all of a sudden the back door opened to the church and it creaked open. Just like it would do if you're trying to cast out a demon. Come on, somebody. Sound effects and all. And all of a sudden, they just hear a little thump of a little cane. And in walks a woman with holy determination on her face. She's about 85 years old. She's earned the phrase of war horse buckling because she's a determined intercessor. Oh, she don't have a title out there. She don't got no TV show. She doesn't have a book. But she's been known among the people that she's cast the spirits off of them and walked them through as a great woman of God. She doesn't look at anybody. She takes that cane. She gets down there in the midst of where all those men are screaming and casting and doing everything they can. She takes her cane. She tips a wide red sea opening through the middle of them. She walks right up to the guy who's writhing and frithing and flothing and mothing and she raises her cane and she goes, be gone. And when she says that, that man lays to utter wholeness. The demons leave him. Why? Because that spirit knew that was a determined woman. She didn't come in a title. She didn't come in a book. She didn't come with a powerful ministry. But she was a behind the closed door intercessor who knew I don't have to let it trouble me. But I'm going to intercede until I see Jesus set that person free. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this house. Look at your neighbor and say, holy, holy determination. So there was the man, listen guys, sitting in his right mind. He's been cutting himself. In fact, they had chained him and he, the chains wouldn't hold him. He'd been roaming around the graveyard, screaming, it says, all day and all night, troubling everybody around him. And I bet a lot of those people said, just please shut him up, God. He's driving me crazy. You know, sometimes we pray prayers, Lord, just please change. And I'm going to use someone I never prayed this over. Please change Austin Chadwick, Lord. Let him be committed. He's never committed. He never does anything. He never shows up. These are all opposites. Oh, Lord. And he just talks nonstop. Take him out to eat and he just talks and he talks. You know, we pray prayers like that. She's driving me crazy. God, if you don't do something with him, I'm going to kill her. He's on my last nerve, God. If you don't move him out of my way, I'm going to slam duck a Jack Bauer on him so fast he won't know what hit him. If you don't do something, God. See, we pray prayers. And people in the gatherings, I'm sure in the Decapolis cities, yes, hello, had prayed that as well. But guess what? It's prayers that say, Jesus, this man is not giving you glory. Jesus, this man is wandering the graveyards. Jesus, this man is cutting himself. This is not who he was born to be. Jesus, he's driving us all crazy too. We're going to throw that in. But we want to say up front that we want to see you be glorified. We want to see you be made famous in this man's life. 
So we're asking you, Jesus, to heal him. Oh, the people around, I'm sure, had moaned and groaned. He's screaming and he's yelling, he's cutting. They couldn't chain him, they couldn't do anything. He roamed all day and night. But the Bible says, everyone say the Bible. Say the Bible. The Bible says in verse 19, this man was sitting clothed in his right mind, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And it said that he said, I wanna go with you, Jesus, cause the people were freaked out. But Jesus says, come on, go and tell them what great things the Lord has done and how he has had compassion on you. Let me say this and we're gonna move on toward the ending of my message. Listen, the miracle that God did, that Christ did, the miracle, the holy determination he had he crossed a storm to get to the gathering let me remind you what John Bevere said we don't know what's on the other side of what we're going through right now no one in this room in your life you don't know what's on the other side the devil is not fighting you or who you were what you were is done it's who you can become it's who you can help the devil doesn't care over the litany of people I've done people want to build monuments to all the people I've helped and done you know what that's done in heaven I'll hear about it, but it's done it's done it's what I do today and who I'm going to become tomorrow. As Billy Burke said three years ago, a storm's going to come, ship is going to break up. Not everyone's going to land to the other side, but those that land are going to form a remnant that's going to form a, a place of healing and restoration in the earth. He predicted it. He prophesied. He didn't say it privately. Every time he took the pulpit, I was like, dear God, Pastor Billy, tape your mouth shut, please. But he would keep saying it and saying it because he said it's what's on the other side but we forget we forget in our individual lives you see Jesus was determined to cross the sea knowing the storm was going to come knowing his disciples were going to say we're perishing we're dying you don't even care about us you don't care God that my kid is on drugs you don't care I don't have any money you don't care that this attack is against me you don't care I mean we're here in the boat with you Jesus we cross the, the river with you Jesus we're just trying to do your work I'm telling you if I had a dollar for every man and woman of God in the country of America that are telling me that right now all I did was get in the boat with Jesus I was just trying to help people and a storm arose a storm came against me I was just trying to do the works of Jesus and a storm came and all of a sudden in that boat the doubt and the fears are you're gonna let us perish we're in the boat with you we're working with you but guess what Jesus knew that on the other side of that thing was a man who no one had helped but he was the key to the ten cities of Decapolis thousands of people had to come from the gathering because Jesus said you know what your miracle is freaking people out but you know what your story will set them free go and tell people the compassion that I showed to you and it says that he evangelized the Decapolis cities let me tell you something we ought not to say why is this happening to me that's what I say why is this happening to me I don't understand oh God anybody else liar liar pants on fire why am I going through Help me, Jesus. Help me, dog. Help me, bird. Help me, parrot. Anybody. I'll take a walkie-talkie. Give me something. Help me. I don't understand. We should say, you know what? My goodness. And Pastor Billy says this to me all the time. We ought to say, oh, my heavens. I can't imagine what must be on the other side of this. I can't imagine what must be waiting on the other side. I can't imagine why this is going on right now. Oh, my goodness. Give me some space. Let me break through. Let me get to the other side. Let me hold on to my determination my faith until I see the eyes of the gathering I'm called to the people that are to be saved oh somebody give God a shout of praise in this house
Look at your neighbor and say, holy determination. Listen to this, guys. I've preached often on Wednesday night about D-Day, and I'm not going to re-preach that, but how the Allies landed on a small amount of a beach called Omaha. When they landed there, it was a small little toehold in the European nations. They went through hell to get there. Watch Save It Private Ryan. Don't hate me. It's one of my favorites. They went through hell to get there. When they got there, they staked a claim in that country. Hitler had turned all the signs wrong because he knew if the signs are turned in your life, you won't get to where God wants you to go. And so against the allies, they had to fight that. He had turned the signs trying to get them because he knew a soldier without position is not a soldier at all. The enemy can get you off position and turn the side post this way to Cleveland, three miles. It was this way to the cities, Luxembourg, whatever, wherever they were, what cities they were at. No, Mahatma, anyway, it didn't look like any victory come. Hitler was still ruling. Nazis were still torturing Jews. But the Allies had made great advance, but nobody knew it on that day except the Allies, and as news did not break like it does now. But they had opened a crack into the darkness. Listen to me. They had opened a crack. Sometimes we feel what we're doing is nothing but a little crack into the darkness. We give a cup of cold water. We give an encouraging word. We show up to give our best. We stay positive around people. Sometimes I feel like, God, is this worth it? Is it worth it to continue to be positive toward people that are continually not positive? And I'm not talking about y'all. You wouldn't believe the mass of people that we help now through Facebook. Really, it's like a whole church of itself. Maybe we'll just start meeting in Computer USA. I don't know. But is this worth it, Lord, to answer these calls to help these people? Is it worth it? It doesn't seem like much. But Jesus always reminds me of the crack. The crack that the Allies made at Omaha. Hitler still ruled, but it was just a matter of time that victory came to Japan and Europe. Just a matter of time till Hitler was killed, as the monster is always killed. And the Jews were released. But it all happened when a group of Allies claimed just a little piece of land in Europe. It was a crack in the darkness. Let me tell you, when Jesus was going up the Via Della Rosa, it didn't look like much. He had been with a multitude. He knew what it was to have a big group around him, but there was no multitude in that season of his life. Don't you be afraid when the multitude is not around you. He had been around the 70, and he had traveled in the company of 70 mighty men and women. With you to life or death. Always be scared of anyone that says that. With you to life or death. All the way back to back. With you, with you, with you, Jesus. But then they left him. Then he was with the 12. And then the 12 left him. And then John was the only one. It looked like nothing as he hung upon Calvary. It looked like nothing. It looked like nothing as he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. Let me tell you something. God will show you when you're supposed to engage your enemy. Jesus did not open his mouth on the way to the crucifixion. But I rest assure you today, after the resurrection, he was mighty vocal about what God had done. There are seasons you engage. Jesus did not engage Satan in the wilderness three times. He just hammered him back with a word. He could have annihilated him. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have put on display that made Spielberg look like nothing if he had wanted to. But he knew there was an appropriate time and a season to engage the enemy. So he did it. But let me tell you, it looked like nothing upon Calvary. It looked like nothing. And even after he had resurrected, let me tell you, it looked like nothing. Pilate is still in charge. Herod is still in charge. 
Only a couple of women were there to see him at the tomb and then 70 came. But let me assure you, everything changed at Calvary. Everything changed at the resurrection. A crack, a place was opened in the darkness of the world. It was annihilated. Jesus did not engage angel, the enemy at the wilderness, but he went to the center of the earth. And for three days, the Bible said he spoiled principalities, making a public spectacle of them openly. Let me tell you, there's a moment in your life when Jesus will tell you it is time to engage the enemy for I have overcome the world and I am in you. And if God before you, he's more than the world against you. Somebody give God a praise in this house. Pastor AC, would you come? I'll get these next two in under music. It's about 25 to 12. So Jesus shows his authority over the storm, the Son of God. Holy determination. Holy determination to cross a horrible place to get to one man. Holy determination to set that man free when that man wanted to come home with him. He said, no, stay where you are. Evangelize this area. Stay where you are. Evangelize. Then Jesus is, gets off the boat again and he gets in a multitude press into him. The multitude that interestingly enough were not there in the hour he needed them. But they pressed in. The Bible says, as it goes into Mark 5, and if you'll allow me to tell you this, you may double check me all afternoon in your word. I promise you I have a great fear of repeating the word incorrectly. Jesus gets out and says, the multitude pressed in around him. So thick. And all of a sudden a man is said, a ruler of the synagogue named Jairus. Some people call him Jairus. Whatever, Jairus. Came and fell down at Jesus' feet. You have to understand this is holy determination. This is a ruler in the synagogue. This is a ruler in the synagogue who hated Jesus and thought he was a false prophet. But in moments of holy determination, I've had people I hate, people that hate me, forgive me, people that hate me, call me to their bedside to pray with me. Pastors had multitudes of people that have been so mean to call him, even recently, involved in a storm years ago to come asking for help. Please help. When we get determined, all we know is I've got to get to Jesus. Are you determined enough today to get your issues, your needs, your wants in the presence of Jesus? Jairus' wants. He said, Lord, my daughter is very sick. My 12-year-old beauty. I've got a 12-year-old. We've got a 12-year-old. My 12-year-old beauty is dying. Jesus, please come to where she is. That holy determination. You see... Sometimes we get to where we want Jesus to do everything for us. But he said, you feel the water pots. You feel them. When do you put the water in the water pots? Todd, you go and you dip in the pool of Siloam. Kimmy, you go and dip in the Jordan. Partner with me. I'm not going to wave a wand over you. I want you to partner with me. Give me your hand, angel. I want you to want you to do something. Jairus could have stayed at home and said, I've heard about Jesus. I know he's here. I know he's got the answer. And it's just in God's hands. You ever meet somebody that say, how you doing? Oh, it's just in God's hands. Well, it is in God's hands. But we are to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. We are to put our faith into action. Holy determination. Look at your neighbor and say, holy. Say, I got to get me some. Holy determination. You may get some biscuits today. You may get some cornbread. 
You may get some chicken. You may get some liver. You may get something. But what you really need is holy determination. Do you want what you say you want as bad as you say you want it? Jairus wanted healing. Jesus says, I'll, I'll come. I'll come to you. I'll, I'll come. I'll come. He lets his pride down. But when all of a sudden everyone knows this story that's a student of the word. A woman. Everyone say a woman. Leave it to a woman. She cuts in. Jesus is on his way to heal the dying daughter with the beloved father. That beautiful 12-year-old that life is leaving her right now. He's on his way. But while he's on his way, a woman gets holy determination. For 12 years, you know her story. I'm not here to preach her story. I'm here to preach her act. She has for 12 years, doctors have abused her. For 12 years, they've taken everything she has. For 12 years, she's dealt with an issue. Jesus had to have told Mark to include in there an amount because she doesn't give it in a testimony. But somehow after the event, when everybody moved on, somebody like the little assistants to Benny Hinn or Billy Burke, tell us how long did you have this thing? And she told somebody, I had it for 12 years. For 12 years, I kept bleeding. For 12 years, it wouldn't stop. For 12 years, I dealt with this thing. For 12 years, I thought there was no hope. For 12 years, for 12 years, the enemy said to me, boy, God doesn't care much for you because she had to be a believer in Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, because she knew where Jesus was coming. She had to be among the throngs of people in that land in that time that knew who Yahweh was. But for 12 years, she had kept pressing, believing. For 12 years, take 12 times, 365 days, you've got your, your answer. How many days that child, that woman, had dealt with this pain, dealt with this issue, but she had holy determination. She could have listened. You know, it's not always the battle that we are dealing with, but it's the voice in the middle of the battle. It's the voice in the middle of the battle that speaks to us. Can I get a witness? The battle is bad enough, but it's the voice in the battle that says to us, you're not going to get through this. The voice that says there is no hope. The voice that says that child will never be free. That marriage will never be healed. That voice that says this will never get better. Everyone's ever loved you, never left you. This will never happen for you. You'll never be chosen by anybody. You'll never be special. You'll never get a promotion at work. You'll never get out of debt. You'll never make a better living for your family. That voice in the middle of the battle. And that voice in the middle of the battle, she had to fight the whole time, but with holy determination. She hears Jesus is going to be there. She didn't even want an audience with him. She doesn't want to go to lunch with him. She doesn't want to go to dinner with him. She doesn't want a counseling session. You know, you get to a point in your life, I don't, I don't need you to talk with me. I need you to pray with me. I think there's a lot of counseling going on that should be referred back to a lot of praying going. Come on, somebody. A lot of getting hold of God. And she reaches out and she grabs hold. She doesn't say, I want to see his face. She doesn't say, I want to talk with him. She doesn't want to say, I want you to come in the middle of the night and cook me a steak, Jesus. She just says, I need something from you. She grabs, you know, she grabs. She says, if I can just touch his clothing. She touches his clothing. He feels the issue leave uh, from him, the power leave. And he turns around. People are pressing so deep. The multitude is so deep. Watch this. That he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, how in the world can you ask that? People are pressing in on you so much. And he said, no, it's not everybody pressing on me. Somebody had holy determination of faith. Somebody reached out and grabbed hold of my garment. And the issue of healing just left my body. You know what? I want to get to the point that I'm not one of the pressers, but I'm one of the determined ones that say I'm determined that what I want, I'm going to get from Jesus. Come on. I'm determined that what I need, I'm going to get from Jesus. I'm determined that this has gone on long enough that I faced enough I'm going to reach out 
I'm not just going to press. I'm not just going to whine and moan. There was a lot of people pressing, but one woman reached out and grabbed hold of him. She was healed and it's wonderful. But right in that moment, Jairus faces the biggest battle of his life that you and I often face. Right in the minute that Christ is headed to his house, right in the minute the answer was coming, right in the minute we thought things were getting better. We've all been here, oh my mercy. Things started picking up. Things started looking better. Jesus is on his way to my house. Things, when we start singing the victory song, we're already singing with everybody. We're proclaiming the victory. We've gotten through this. We've gotten over this. That's behind us. We're going on. And then all of a sudden, something cut in in the middle. For Jairus, it was a woman's faith. But in that moment, it didn't matter if it was a woman's faith or a devil he's hanging in between what they call the flyer and the catcher you know trapeze artist Henry Newman wrote which I've told this before that he traveled and, and, and with them and wrote about their experience and in that moment the flyer let go of the trapeze he has to circle in the air and the trapeze the, the flyer always said he had to have a great relationship with the catcher because somewhere right here the catcher reaches out and catches him before he falls to the ground so the flyer said, you don't ever want to have an ill relationship with the catcher because he's got to catch me. Let me tell you something. You need to guard your relationship. I need to guard my relationship with the most high God because we are the flyers and he is the catcher. It's not that he's not going to catch us, but our mind can get tormented. Our mind can get confused in the moment that we're hanging out, suspended into nothingless, waiting for God to catch us with the answer that our mind can begin to doubt and begin to go into uncertainty certainty and to forget that he is the great I am let me tell you God says in Deuteronomy 33 blessed is the God of Israel who puts his everlasting arms underneath you let me tell you you can't let your mind be tormented in the middle that you let go of the trapeze so that God can catch you in the moment of faith God is always and will always catch those who look to him in faith give him a shout of praise in this house Say holy determination. Holy determination. Holy. I've already preached all that. Holy determination. But that voice steps in. That voice steps in because a, a runner comes, which a runner always comes. Somebody talks about you, one of those people are always going to run and tell you. It don't just happen in high school, Amen. A runner always exists to bring you bad news. I heard Bishop Jake say that 27 years. I never forgot. A runner always lives to bring bad news. And someone comes up to Jairus and says, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter is dead. She's, she's died. While you were singing the song and you were walking your way with Jesus toward the answer, you could see it coming. You were feeling encouraged. You're like, yeah. This is great. But all of a sudden, something happened in the middle. And some voice says, why bother the master? It's done. It's dead. It's hopeless. It's gone. It's over. Why bother him anymore? It's out of your hands. But in the same place, listen to this, that the voice says, don't bother, the voice of Christ says, she is not she is only asleep let me tell you in the same space someone say in the same space in the same space that the enemy tries to tell you it's hopeless in the same space the enemy tries to tell you it's dead 
in the same space, the same very place, Jairus is standing here with Christ. You would think that would stop someone from saying, don't bother the master anymore. Don't bother, she's dead. But in the same space, Jesus said, she is not dead. A voice says, she is dead. Don't ever be surprised in the midst of Christ, speaking through his word, speaking through a song, speaking through a revelation, what is truth and life to your soul, that the enemy or a voice comes and says to you, don't bother. Why worry about it? Why try? Why to have determination? It's done. It's decreed. It's dead. Let me tell you, we've got to be like Jairus and say, I'm going to ignore this voice and I'm going to go with this voice. I'm not going to listen to this voice. Come on, somebody. But I'm going to listen to this voice. I'm going to ignore the thoughts and the voices that speak negative and contrary to what the Word has spoken to me. And as for me and my house, we're going to be traveling on with Jesus. Somebody give him a hand. I promise I'm going to finish in this house this morning. Many, many years ago, I was preaching about Jairus' daughter, a whole message about her. And it just came to me something beautiful. I want to remind you before we finish with my ending thought. The whole time he's traveling, I believe it's like one of those commercials, you know, where that black woman and that, or no, they're, they're kind of a, I don't know what they're, maybe Hispanic. They get on the subway, they see each other, and all of a sudden it shows you what's going to come out of the relationship, and their son's going to be president of the United States. And it shows you what can be, the possibilities. I think it is the re, one of the Rethink Possible commercials. It shows you the possibilities. What's going to come out of this union? This young boy, this grown man, and then the President of the United States. I believe that the whole time Jesus is making his way toward your answer and my answer and toward this little girl, that he's seen all the possibilities of her life. He doesn't see her at 12. He sees her at 15. He sees her at 21. He sees her as a mama. He sees her as a grandmama. I believe as he's going toward her, the psalmist said so beautifully, many, O oh Lord, are your wondrous works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot, someone say cannot, cannot be recounted to you in order. For if I were to declare and speak of all your thoughts toward us, they would outnumber anything that ever has been or ever will be. And I believe as God is walking toward your future today, with your holy determination. He has a holy determination in the mental, in the center of all these stories are the determination of Christ Jesus himself. He never asked you to do anything he has not already done for you. He was determined. He said, the girl is not dead. She is simply sleeping. He got to the house. He only took the three with him. He put the, mour the mourners had already shown up. The paid mourners were already screaming and wailing. She's dead. She's dead. You got to realize that the enemy pays people spiritually to speak doubt and unbelief and confusion to you. Sometimes they can come in the name of God, but if they don't speak what lines up with the word, let every man be a liar because God is the truth. Can you say amen? And these mourners were often paid to bring confusion and mourning and mourning. Whoa, she's dead. Jesus walks into the center of people that are mourning. She's already dead. He puts the scoffers out of the room. He puts the doubters out of the room. You and I have got to learn to put the doubters out of our, don't respond to their emails. Don't respond about your life, your marriage, your finances, whatever you're going through. Put them out of the room. Stand toe to toe with barking dogs and they will go. And you all of a sudden see that Jesus puts them out. Why? He wants an atmosphere of faith. 
He wants an atmosphere of holy determination. He sees her asleep, but scientifically, she is dead. Scientifically, she has stopped breathing. Scientifically, the heart is not beating anymore. Oh, we all want this kind of testimony, but we don't want this kind of thing to deal with. Come on, somebody. Oh, we want it. These things read well and they preach easy, but we don't want to be living in the middle of it. And there she is. And Jesus gets into the room with her and with the mother and the dad. And he says a simple thing to her. Give me your hand, Debbie. He says, Talitha Kuma, which means in Greek, little one. What I love about this, this is the same Jesus who spoke to the wind and the waves. This is the same Jesus who commanded the fear be gone. This is the same Jesus who stood up against a hurricane in our mind and said, peace, be still. And immediately the waves hunkered down beneath the voice of the Son of the Almighty God. We see him come against the demoniac. We see the demons run toward him in a radiation zone saying, Christ, Christ, don't torment us. We see him kick those demons out. We see the woman come toward him. But in this moment, he says, Talitha, kumai, which means little one, arise. Some translations mean little lamb, little lamb, arise little girl with the tenderness of a father like Taylor with his newborn baby in his arms he says little one arise that's all it took for death to let go of that 12 year old and that 12 year old to sit up and say I'm hungry and Jesus to say give her something to eat let me tell you something our Christ has holy determination if he needs to speak against the wind and the waves then we walk away say who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him if he needs to come against the demons of hell he comes with holy determination if he needs to move through a multitude but one little woman grabs healing after 12 years of torment he will do but in a moment of tenderness he can easily say little one arise son of God arise arise to who you are called to be this is holy determination let let me read a passage to you and we're going to pray what says in Isaiah 63 because you know what I'm a girl so I got to see this in light of a movie or even a guy would but since I'm a girl I see like a little girl I see her laying there I see her asleep momentarily but sort of looking dead and I just believe that when she opened her eyes she said what every fainting princess has said to her conquering king I knew you would come. I knew you would come. I'm going to tell you, you and I have got to get that kind of holy determination that when he shows up, we're not shocked. We're not stunned, but we say, I knew. I knew whether we're kings or queens, priests or women of God, that we say, I knew you would come. Isaiah said this about Jesus as we close. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? He's speaking of Jesus the Messiah. He sees him coming from Calvary. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the of his strength just as Jesus traveled in the greatness of his strength to this little girl he's traveling in the greatness of his strength to every issue in this room can you say amen I Jesus answers who speak in righteousness I am 
him mighty to save. He didn't say Oprah was mighty to save. He didn't say your daddy was mighty to save. He certainly did not say Rhonda is mighty to save, but he said, I, I, because he wants you to know he is Christ, the son of the living God. He is the only one you can put your trust and your hope in. He said, why, the reader said, is your apparel red and your garments like one who trends the wine press? Because he comes in these holy garments, but they're stained with blood from the top to the bottom. He said, I have trodden the wine press alone. And from the people, no one was with me. He says, no one was with me. No one helped me when I saved you, says Jesus to every person in this room. Christ says to every man and woman in this room by the Spirit, no one was with me. I stood alone when I saved you. No one gathered around me to cheer me. No one gathered around me, the Spirit of Christ would say to us today. They cast lots on my garment. They cast coins down. They cast lots saying what would become of my soul in hell. No one was with me, but I trod the winepress alone. For I have trod them in my anger and I have stained all my robes. And listen to this. This is your good news today. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. Let me tell you today, Jesus said, to every one of us in this room today the year of my redeemed has come I am Christ stand all over this house put your hands together before we pray and just praise him like you mean it come on respond to the word come on respond to the word come on respond to the word clap your hands like you mean it for Christ no one helped him work salvation for you no one stepped in hallelujah Jesus Hallelujah, Jesus. Now I want everyone in the room to just come and stand in the altars. Just, we're just going to have prayer for all the needs. We're going to have prayer right now. Just come everyone and stand if you would. Stand in these altars right where you are and just lift your hands up to Him. Just stand with your hands lifted in these altars. Just focus on Him. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Focus on Christ. Use that holy determination to get as close to Him as you can. Focus on Christ. Obama didn't save you. A king of earth didn't save you. Bill Gates did not save us. Your mama didn't save you. Your dad or your pastor. Christ saved you. With hands lifted, I want you just to worship Him for a moment. Lord Jesus, we honor and worship You. We have just spent a day in your life, Lord, as you traveled in the greatness of your strength. We watched you show your authority and we need to be reminded that you have authority over the wind and the waves for whatever's crashing in our life, for whatever is roaring in our life. Lord Jesus, whatever battle we're facing, whatever trouble someone we love faced, we may be like Jairus and we're standing in today for someone that we love dearly, that's hurting physically someone that needs a miracle we may be like the woman with the issue of blood and we need healing in our body our heart our soul and our mind we may be like the little girl lord that things look dead in our life it looks over and today we stand in your presence we stand in your presence lord jesus with holy determination praising you that you are holy determined to meet us, to reach us, to reach those who need help in our life. 
that you are here right now. I just want you just to take a moment and worship Him before we pray. I just want you to speak your praises. Just see Him however you see Christ. See Him cleansing away all your sins. See Him speaking peace, peace, peace to your storm. See Him healing you. See Him lifting you up. Seeing Him calling alive what looks dead to others. See Jesus. See Jesus. See Jesus. He is a Christ, the Son of God. Just see Him. See Him. See Him. Holy determination. See Him. See Him. See Him. Just see Christ. Just see Christ. Just see Him. Just see Him. Just worship Him. Come on, just worship Him. I want you just to focus on Jesus for these moments. You may not have this opportunity. You may not take this opportunity again. Just see Jesus. Christ, we worship You. Come on, I just keep in the Spirit saying just to worship Him. Make it your voice. Make it your words. Make it your praise. Come on, you have to close your eyes. You have to see Him. No one's listening to you. Listen to yourself. Speak His praise. Speak His worship. We bless your name, Jesus. I thank you for Calvary. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you you traveled alone for me. I thank you, Jesus, for salvation. I thank you for healing. I thank you for wholeness. I thank you, Lord, I'm alive. The devil would have killed me a long time ago if he could. But today I'm alive to praise you. I'm alive to worship you. I'm alive to be holy, determined to live for you, to get in your presence to get others to you. I'm determined, Lord, whatever's on the other side of my storm. Lord, it's somebody who needs my testimony. Somebody who needs my compassion. Somebody who doesn't need my judgment, my wagging tongue, my critical spirit. But Jesus, what they need in me, Rhonda Davis, they need compassion. They need me not to judge them. Come on, keep praising Him. So Lord Jesus, whatever's on the other side, I stand my place today. On the end of this ship of life, I say, I'm wholly determined for you to have it your way. I'm determined to go forward. I'm determined to stand. I'm determined to take you by the hand. I'm determined to see you in my life, to have what I say I want, to be determined. To be determined to put doubt outside the room, to put scorn outside the room, to put fear outside the room, the voice in the battle outside the room that says, why is God letting you perish? My God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man to change his mind, but what he has promised he will fulfill. I stand here today in holy determination. I stand. 
standing, I want you just to take somebody by the hand. We're gonna pray. We're gonna get some holy determination to close this part of the service out. Come on, take somebody by the hand. We're gonna pray for needs. You're gonna pray for that hand. You're gonna pray for them to have holy determination. But you rest assured that hand's got some stuff. Every one of us do. We need Christ and His holy determination to get to us. And we're gonna pray for these. Go ahead and just start praying. Come on, lift your voice. Just start praying. Come on, lift your voice right where you are. Just let that person hear you praying out loud while they pray out loud. Come on, come on, pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this hand that I'm holding. I pray for holy determination. I pray for peace in their circumstance. I pray for healing in their body. Jesus, we just saw where you commanded the wind and the waves. You drove out the demons. You healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years and you raised a girl from the dead. So Lord, this hand that I'm holding, there's nothing that they're facing that you cannot fit, that you cannot heal, that you cannot turn around. And Lord, in compassion, I pray for whatever's troubling them. I pray for whatever mountain. I pray for whatever circumstance. Christ, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the living water. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the great I am. You are the root of David. You are the son of David. You are the king who's been crowned with many crowns. And I speak life. I speak healing. I speak restoration. In the name of Jesus, holy determination. I stand in for prodigals. I stand in for those facing battles so big they couldn't get their feet into this sanctuary. I pray for holy determination for those people. I pray they do their part knowing you will do your part. Lord, rebuke every interference from the enemy, every battle from Satan. Wave a praise, clap a praise, shout a praise. 